The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. At times, it seems like when you work on your professional career, your personal life seems to fall behind. Then, when you work on improving your personal obligations, the professional part of your life begins to suffer. Is there any way to keep them both humming along at a successful pace? Welcome to Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson. We'll take the guesswork out of which part of you is more important and show you the success stories of others that can help you realize that you can manage it all. Now, here is your host, Leah Mattinson. Welcome to Master Your Life, the show that gives you insight, inspiration, and intelligence. I'm Leah Mattinson, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. Uh, Dr. Rankin is the author of many self-transformational books, including the upcoming I Think, Therefore, I Am Wrong. <laughs> and also today on the show, uh, we are joined by guest Scott Walker. Scott has a business called Scott Inside Out, and today's episode, we're going to be talking about life without medication or intentional lifestyle design. Uh, welcome, Scott, and welcome, Howard. Hey, Leah, and welcome, Scott. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. So, Scott, just love to let the listeners hear your amazing story by starting out and just telling us about kind of a little bit about yourself and and, uh, how you grew up and how you've managed um, to uh, come to find out that you uh, were dealing with a mental illness. Certainly. Um, In the period before... uh, the new millennium there, um, like Christmas time around, uh, 19 in 1999, I was visiting with family and I was at a point where I was sleeping very little. I had very high energy. I was spending a lot more money than I normally do. It seemed like my senses were, were heightened. I was able to hear things uh, seemingly at a further distance. And, uh, I definitely, had a feeling something was wrong, and then um, I actually checked myself into the hospital on January first, two thousand. So that's how I brought in the new millennium. Was uh, was uh, essentially getting diagnosed with bipolar disorder after having my first manic episode. Wow. Yeah. I, had you had anything like that before? I mean, looking back, uh, any experiences like that earlier in your life or was this sort of really a bolt out of the blue? Uh, it really was out of the blue. I'd never had anything remotely similar to that ever in my life. And uh, looking back, I was fortunate that when I was in university, I'd worked at a psychiatric hospital for a few summers in the recreation area. So I had a little bit of prior exposure to a variety of mental illnesses. Uh, with the different clients that we were working with. Um, But personally, I'd never had anything even close to that. So, Scott, just curious, was your family aware of what was going on? Um, They were, because at that time, I was actually with my mom and my brother. We were visiting other family. 
And, uh, you know, my mom was, had told me she noticed I was acting strange and my brother was concerned as well. So they had said that a few times in the multiple day lead up, uh, prior to me admitting myself to the hospital. So yes, they definitely had, uh, had mentioned that they were concerned about me. And, and, and perhaps for the listeners who don't quite understand uh, what a manic episode is, perhaps you could describe it in a, in a little more detail. Certainly. Um, so the manic episode behaviors are, are somewhat similar to someone who's extremely sleep-deprived. So in my experience, I was very energetic. I had uh, these incredibly creative thoughts. I was going to write books, and I was going to do all these amazing amazing things. Um, in my experience, I had convinced myself that I I could read people's minds and um, a, a very common tendencies with people in manic episodes is that they, they spend more money than normal. Uh, they become, in some cases, hypersexual. Um, quite often people get uh, very agitative or very short with people because they want to just keep talking. And in general, they... Uh, myself included, people in a manic state, they are so talkative that uh, it's hard for other people to get, to get a word in edgewise. And I know nice. with me, uh, up to that point, some of my family had never seen me that talkative before, so they, they figured something was up. <laughs> I'm thinking some of that sounds like <laughs> me every day, Scott. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or my teenagers, hang on. <laughs> so I don't mean to make light of it, absolutely not. I do, And I also wonder, it's like, how would you, how would a normal person differentiate like um, that really hyper... Um, state to something that's out of control where you go, like, how did you actually, how would you make the decision to go in and get help? Um, Because again, I can totally see where that would all look really, really appealing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and don't get me wrong. There's people who, who struggle managing their bipolar disorder because they love the feeling of that. It's almost a euphoric high when you're manic. Um, The reason I reached the point of reaching out for medical assistance was bottom line. I just wasn't sleeping and I knew at some point I was going to crash and I was going to crash hard. So that was the the key for me is that I was sleeping from what I recall, maybe two hours a night for literally five or six days. And, uh, I could just feel, even though I was still super energetic, like I could feel my body just having, starting to have no energy. And I thought, okay, something's going to happen soon, and I'm going to crash pretty hard. So that's when I reached the point to get medical assistance and check myself in. And so what happened when you did? How were you treated? What, what was the recommendation for you? Um, so what happened was I, I went to uh, it was a small-town hospital where, where we were visiting other family mm. and uh, essentially described what was happening. And then... Uh, I was transferred to a psychiatric hospital in a larger city nearby. And I remember a brief conversation with a psychiatrist. And then I blanked out, and I don't remember anything for 11 days after that. And I remember waking up in a psychiatric hospital ward 11 days later. Wow, and you don't have any recollection of that period at all? No, like my mom and my brother were visiting me in the psychiatric hospital and they were talking and supposedly I was having a relatively normal conversation. Uh, however, I don't have any 
recollection of that 11-day period at all. Wow, that is just amazing. And and so how did you get, I just am thinking how much courage that would have taken, number one, to get yourself um, into help when you knew that you needed it, because so many people um, are, aren't able to kind of um, get up the energy and the courage to do that. So first that, and then your family coming in to see the state that you're in, it must have been very confusing for them. Um, it definitely was, and I guess bottom line is they were... In a, in a big sense, relieved because it, they knew at that point that I was on my journey back to getting, mm-hmm. being being the normal Scott again. And, you know, none of us had any idea how long that would take. However, they did have a bit of relief knowing that at least I was at that point having some very good uh, people looking after me and getting me, getting my health back. And so what was the regimen for you to kind of get yourself back on track? Were there medications involved? I presume there were. Um, yes. Yeah, so at that period when I was first diagnosed, I was on a number of medications. Um, one of them was to assist me sleeping, and then the other ones were to essentially do do their best to to calm my general state and to to get me back to... Uh, a, a somewhat sense of normalcy. Um, but yeah, initially, for about the first three to six months, I was on, I believe, three medications at that time. Well, just um, just managing that, and were you hospitalized during that entire time, Scott? Um, I wasn't, no. So I was hosp- hospitalized for the first three weeks after my initial diagnosis, and then I spent a week with uh, with cousins that lived nearby, and then after that, I went back to work. So um, I was seeing a psychiatrist every two weeks, and a, a friend was taking me to those sessions. However, I was, yeah, after, I guess I'd say a month, I was, you know, back at work. I was back to living the life that I had before. And uh, tell us about your journey since then in managing this and the things that you have learned about the best and maybe not so best ways of of coping with an illness like this. Um, Yeah, so since that time, I was on medications for, uh, I guess, a total of about 10 years. And for... For a good chunk of that time, I, I was just happy that I wasn't in the psychiatric hospital. So that was my my big thing: is that okay? I'm I'm not in the hospital, so things are good. And um, and then, kind of in the 2009 sort of time period, I started uh, uh, doing a little more research on my own, and also through some people I met and a few courses that I took about uh, alternative, more proactive, natural things I could do to have a more mentally stable happier, healthier life. And uh, then since that time, I've learned different things that have made a a radical change in my life and have allowed me to be uh, medication-free and with the support of my doctor and and lead a much happier and holistically healthy life. So just going back to that kind of the change around 2009, was there something else going on in your life that was the sort of catalyst for trusting yourself to be able to try some alternatives or or what had changed for you that you were um, not only willing to look but actively looking for uh, some other way to manage this? 
Yeah, I guess in my in my experience, there's a couple of key points that <clears throat> combined to make me want to search out alternatives. Um, one was that for a, a portion of that time when I was on uh, especially one medication, I was in essentially a flatline state. So <clears throat> I wasn't able to really experience the joys of life or the sadness of life, the medication had essentially numbed out my emotions. And that's something that I was getting tired of because it really felt like I wasn't living a normal life. So I'd say that was one huge piece. And then a secondary piece is that uh, my mother had uh, had a bunch of medical issues and was on numerous medications. And I had seen the effects that these medications had had on her. And, uh, and then she passed away in 06. So after she passed away, I I did a bit of reflection on that as well. And it was primarily her attitude that allowed her to live far past her given timeline that doctors had given her. However, I did see firsthand the effects of all these medications had on her. So that was something weighing on the back of my mind as well. Yeah, so you became wary about the long-term, maybe short-term side effects of medications? I definitely did because one of the medications I was on um, called lithium, there is a, it's stated that there's a potential for long-term kidney damage and or failure. And I know on that particular medication, which I was on for seven years, I was almost always thirsty. And I'm a pretty active person, so it's it's a really fine balance because I'm always thirsty. I'm, I'm quite often doing active things. However, I couldn't drink too much water or fluids because then that would throw my whole system out of balance. So that was uh, that was a big factor. Plus, I had I had random muscle tremors, and it was hard for me to keep my hands still. I had constant hand tremors on that particular medication. And so were there other medications, Scott, too, along the way that you were concerned about? Uh, yes. So the, so the last medication I was on is called Zyprexa. And I had been told that there was no known potential uh, short-term or long-term side effects. And on that particular medication, I, I didn't feel any side effects. However, uh, like some medications out there, it stated that they essentially haven't done any long-term research on it. So there's no way of knowing any potential long-term side effects. Right. Maybe, Howard, you could weigh in on that a bit. Um, well, again, we should say that none of us are licensed in this area. Um, and our advice always, of course, is to get medical help and, and seek help from your professionals. However, in the interest of you know debate about the impact of medications, and particularly antidepressants, um, I think I, I, I think it is interesting to know. I'm, I, and this is quoting from the Center of Disease Control um, study, uh, 2011 on antidepressants. Eleven uh, percent of Americans over 12 take antidepressant medication. Um, one third of p- people with severe depressive symptoms take it, which is interesting because you know it's very easy to assume well there's there's too many of these medications, but in fact. 
as is as the case with a lot of conditions, there are a lot of people at the margins who can't afford medications. And so in this in this CDC survey, only a third of people with severe depression were taking antidepressants. So, you know, that's a flip side of it too. Um, more than 60% of Americans take antidepressant medication, have taken it for two years or longer, and 14% have taken it for 10 years or more. And, and I think, and I'm sure Scott will talk to this, I think clearly the issue is you need to get help from a professional. And if you're put on medication, that needs to be constantly monitored. And in addition to medication, I think probably the common sense view is you should look for alternatives, uh, adjuncts, things that will help along with medication uh, if you recommended it, that will help you generally. Is that your view, Scott? Oh, yes, I fully agree with that, Like especially in the case of bipolar disorder when someone's in a manic, manic episode. like I'm a huge advocate of them getting professional medical professionals involved and, and getting on medication because at that point, um, we really need some... The person needs something to literally slow their brain and their thinking down. And uh, at that point, medication really, really is needed. And yes, yeah, like once someone someone's stabilized and they're able to regain somewhat of a normal life, then I feel at that point it's extremely beneficial for them to to start in some other proactive pieces into their life that can assist them in being more mentally stable and more holistically healthy overall. Yeah, and when we come back after the break, that's exactly what you're going to tell us about and how you have found uh, various things that can help you. Um, so any other questions, Leah, before we go to break or thoughts? No, just very excited to hear about how Scott has uh, dealt with this and also if he's had any um, reoccurrences. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's time to do all of those things that you always said you'd do in your life. What's stopping you? Is it other people? Your environment? Fear? What could give you a push? Tune in to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. Our show is all about taking risks and turning them into positives and personal gain. We'll help your inner voice speak up and get you out of that comfort zone. Raising the Bar can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com tuned in to master your life to reach leah mattinson or her guest please call in to 1-888-346-9141 
That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along with my co-host Leah Mattinson. And today we're talking to uh, Scott Walker. He's got a great, great story about uh, having a manic episode and uh, being labeled with a mental illness and, and dealing with that and dealing with it beyond the medication or as well as the medication. And he's going to talk to us in this segment about uh, the different alternatives that he found uh, either as an alternative to medication or an adjunct to medication um, that can help. Scott, so here you are, you, uh, you've been 10 years on medication and you decide perhaps it's time to shake it up a bit, right? That's correct. Um, at that point, I was really concerned with long-term side effects of medication. As I mentioned in the prior segment, one of them the side effects were known, and then I was off that medication. I had started an, another medication, and the long-term potential side effects were not known. And that was always weighing in the back of my mind, like, what is, what are these medications doing to the rest of my body? What are they doing to my organs, etc.? cetera? And uh, that's the point where I, I, I started uh, exploring, and then I had some, some random occurrences where I, I met different people that were big catalysts in my change as well. So do you remember any of those first tools specifically, Scott? Um, I, I definitely do. And I would say, like, in my experience, probably the biggest catalyst was I was taking a, it was a personal development course in 2009 in, in Calgary, which is, very, which is where I was living at the time. And um, we are on a lunch break, <clears throat> And I, I got talking to a fellow there who was at the course as well, and uh, I just somehow told him that I was on some medication. So he asked me, well, what medication, what's it for? So I told him, and he said, oh, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and he says, I don't take any medication. And I'd never met anyone like that, and this gentleman was very vibrant, very healthy, and very full of life, and I thought, wow, that was inspiring. So that that was kind of the first catalyst, and I guess the biggest tool that he shared with me was to to really make significant dietary changes, especially for breakfast. So that was kind of the start of it for me. And uh, dietary changes, what sort of dietary changes was that? Actually having breakfast, you know, a lot of people <laughs> skip breakfast. <laughs> yeah. not, not a good idea. Um, yeah. No, that's a good question. Uh, prior to that, I was... Uh, I was what, having, what were the dietary uh, changes breakfast. that you did and, and maybe subsequently found helpful? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Prior to that, I was having like cereal and milk, um, orange juice, um, low-fat sweetened yogurt, quite often a banana. Uh-huh. So I was having a lot of refined sugars first thing in my morning. I wasn't having a lot of good slow-burning proteins. I wasn't having complex carbohydrates. So uh, I was getting kind of this quick burst of energy. And uh, I guess like happens to some people that, that have that sort of diet, I was, I was having typically a pretty big crash about an hour and a half, two hours later. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't feeling 
fueled for the day, essentially. So what, uh, what that person told me was to really focus on having a higher protein, no refined sugar type of breakfast. So that's the, the one switch that I made at that time, which made a, a big, big difference in the start of my day and also fueled me for a good chunk of the day as well. So for people who are not familiar with that kind of a um, being able to picture a particular kind of food, what would that, what would your breakfast have looked like if you could take a picture of it prior to that information and then after that information? So prior to that, it was uh, um, different refined sugars were in uh, a few of the foods that I was eating for breakfast. And uh, so would that be like cereal, um, cinnamon buns? Um, yeah, like I was generally having like cereal with milk. I was having like sweetened yogurts. I was having uh, like like frozen concentrated orange juice. I was typically having some sort of uh, fruit as well. Right. And your pr- breakfast now looks like what? So generally, I'll, I'll have uh, some uh, eggs, or I'll have uh, a really good green smoothie. Sometimes with some uh, some protein in there, like hemp seed or something. Uh, and then quite often I'll have uh, oatmeal with like hemp seed and uh, walnuts and uh, a bit of blueberries or apple and cinnamon. Those are, I would say, the the most typical sort of breakfast meals that I eat. And did this uh, move away from refined sugar, sort of permeate your whole diet? It wasn't just breakfast. Did you start to eat more healthily um, other times of the day? Um, I, I definitely did, and uh, and I'd say probably the biggest change I had was um, at that period in my life I was working in corporate world, and I was fortunate that I had good benefits. I was seeing, I saw a naturopathic doctor for a period of time, and through here through her I did a a big cleanse called a candida cleanse, and during that cleanse there's no refined sugar. And uh, I did that in 2010, and once I experienced the benefits of that and, and the huge changes that it made in not only my, my life and my energy, but my sleep, um, that since that time, I've, I've done my best to significantly reduce my refined sugar intake. Well, that you know is that's... excellent. Yeah, yeah. That, so the candida, is that a yeast? Is that ridding yeast of your, from your body? That's, what That's correct. Like. So candida is a yeast that uh, everyone has in their stomachs, and with the standard North American diet with with uh, white white uh, sugar, um, you know, white flour, um, simple carbohydrates, it uh, proliferates that yeast, and it it can uh, manifest itself into a wide range of symptoms depending on the person. Um, but I know in my case, from the outside, I looked fairly healthy. Uh, prior to doing a candida cleanse. Um, However, internally, I had a fairly high candida count when I did a a test through this naturopathic doctor. And and she had disclosed with me that, uh, you know, many middle-aged men, not to stereotype too much, but uh, the kind of classic case of a middle-aged man with with a big stomach, um, she said, the vast majority of those men have a, a huge amount of candida in their system. And it, it, it really just leads to a whole number of things uh, physically and internally that are, make it difficult for someone to be truly healthy. 
when they have well, that much candida in their system. Hmm. Well, you know, there's, there's no question that all of us could do with minimizing the refined sugar in our diet. There's absolutely no question about that. Um, and uh, we know actually that uh, a very heavy refined sugar diet um, certainly, I think, is the evidence is accumulating that it, it contributes to cognitive decline and an increased risk of dementia, as well as all the cardiovascular issues. So, so that was a great move. Um, what else did you do apart from um, those two things? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So after that, I, I started to uh, meditate first thing in the morning. And um, um, I know prior to that, as soon as my alarm would go off, I would shoot out of bed. I'd basically go from, you know, sleeping to 100 miles an hour in like 10 seconds. And uh, it wasn't until a few people pointed out to me to to mindfully start my day slower that I really thought about it. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to attempt to do some meditation. So the first few times I, I did fall back asleep <laughs> right away because um, I was doing it. I was doing it right after I got up. Um, however, I, it is something that I embedded into my life and that made a massive difference because I started the day in a much grounder, calmer way. And I, I did find that I just had much better, better thinking and much less anxiety and stress right, right at the start of my day. So that's, that's one, one tool that I brought in. Um, another tool I brought in was, uh, was affirmations. Um, a big catalyst for that with me was, uh, uh, or is a person named uh, Pete Swales. He's someone that uh, I know will be a guest on this show, or he may have been prior, actually, my mistake. Um, and he's, uh, he's a mentor for me, and uh, I've had sessions with him since 2009. And one thing that we worked on a lot early on was affirmations, what I'm telling myself. Because um, at that time in my life, I was, constantly telling myself very negative, very uh, hurtful things. And uh, with his assistance and a few other resources, I really started to do affirmations that were getting me in a much more positive frame of mind. So I'm just curious, Scott, were the meditations and the affirmations at the same time of day or did you kind of work things in throughout the day? How did you, how did you manage to fit these new tools into your lifestyle? Uh, so generally I would do the med- meditation first thing in the day and then the affirmations. I had a few set ones that I had uh, come up with Pete and then a few others I had used from another resource. I was actually from Louise Hay, who I'm a hu- huge fan of. Um, so the affirmations, I would say a few in the morning and then I had a few that I'd randomly say during the day at different times, depending on the situation and context. I'm really fascinated by your use of meditation, which I wholeheartedly agree is a fantastic tool that we could all benefit from. How long did it take you to really get into that rhythm? Because it's not easy just to suddenly say, okay, I'm going to close my eyes and try not to think of anything or experience rather than process. How did you do with that? Um, Yeah, I think for me it was the kind of like the three-week rule. I know there's there's quite a few people out there that state to bring a new habit into our lives takes approximately 21 days. And in my experience, that was about the length of time it took was the 21 days. And, uh, uh, 
actually one of the big uh, benefits for me with meditation or learning how to do meditation was it was actually another internet radio show through Hay House I'd listened to uh, from Alan Cohen, and I'd actually gone to one of his retreats in 2007, so I'm a big fan of his. And on one of his Hay House radio shows, he interviewed a gentleman who Alan claimed is the most successful, yet the most relaxed businessman that he knows. And the whole focus of that show was meditation. And Alan asked him, how do you meditate? And this gentleman said he, he meditates first thing in the morning while he's still lying in bed. And that was a huge aha for me, because prior to that point, I would get up, I would get in the classic lotus position, and I just couldn't relax. I, I've always had a hard time sitting cross-legged, and <laughs> it just wasn't working for me. And when I heard that show, I thought, wow, I can just lie in bed and meditate. And that's what I did, started doing, and that's what I do now. And for me, that works. That's fantastic. And I think for other people who struggle with meditating, because I can say in my coaching practice, that's, that's a really common complaint. And uh, there is no, uh, there's no paid, no one's paying us for any uh, promos, but there is a really good tool available in the marketplace now for people who struggle. And it's, um, it's I think, called Headspace. And it's a 10-minute uh, meditation, and it actually takes you through a, a, a regimen of learning and trials over a uh, 10 lesson sort of period um, so that you can learn how to meditate in a very non sort of threatening way. Cause I think people go meditation. Oh my, that's like too hard for me. I can never get my brain quiet. And then this uh, headspace is like a really doable thing. It's a very pleasant surprise for people who struggle. So um, for, I just think I'll do a plug saying for those who struggle with meditation, you may want to just check out headspace as an actual uh, tool to help you on your journey of meditation because we all agree I think just that it has so many benefits so even if you can get in 10 minutes um, if you can't do an hour to start with it's still a really really valuable um, tool for centering and grounding and calming Um, yes so I'm so glad you brought that tool into the mix uh, your affirmations from Louise Hay we've brought her up a couple of times in the shows uh, so far absolutely she is um, got some amazing work, and, and one of my favorite books to give to clients uh, is Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. So uh, it's interesting that many of us on these healing journeys go to the same resources and tools, but I'm also excited to hear about what other resources and tools you might have that people might not be as familiar with. So along with your meditation and the affirmations, was there, is there a physical component to the work that you, or the, the intervention that you um, have for yourself, Scott? Um, yes, like for me, exercise is a, a big part of my life. In my case, it's not something that I had to bring into my life. I've, I've always been very active. I know even as a young child, my mom used to yell at me to come inside because I was always playing outside. Um, and then growing up through my school years and, and adult years, I've always been very active doing a number of sports and activities. So for me, bringing activity into my life wasn't a new thing, uh, but I would say bringing different types of activities into my life was somewhat of a new thing. So I did bring yoga into my life in the last three years, and that's something I do a very short, easy, gentle yoga session um, every morning, and it's I'm not doing headstands or anything like that. I'm just doing very basic yoga poses. Most of them focus, focus on 
breathing and uh, and my spine flexibility and balance. So that's one physical uh, tool I've brought into my life. Well, you know, you know that's great. You've talked about um, diet and nutrition. You've talked about meditation. You've also implied that your sleep was a whole lot better. You're talking about physical activity. Um, all of these lifestyle behaviors that we know are really critical to health, independent of being diagnosed with a psychiatric condition. Um, you know, so these, the, you're, you're, you're hitting them all. You're hitting them all. I'm not surprised, Scott. You're, you're hitting them all. But um, what is interesting is, A, how anyone can really, if they make the effort, incorporate these into their life. And um, how important it is to do that, you know? Uh, you, you obviously found them yourself through your own particular uh, journey. But, um, you know, it's impressive that you have found them and you've implemented them. And, and when we come back um, after the break, you know, I'd like uh, you to tell us, you know, your tools and tips for people. And uh, certainly if you've got other things that you've done too. But how can anyone begin to integrate these into their life for unquestionably, unquestionably um, better health, a better lifestyle and a, and absolutely a better life so when we come back after the break scott you're going to give us all that wisdom and how we can incorporate it into our lives build your better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed It's time to do all of those things that you always said you'd do in your life. What's stopping you? Is it other people, your environment, fear? What could give you a push? Tune in to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. Our show is all about taking risks and turning them into positives and personal gain. We'll help your inner voice speak up and get you out of that comfort zone. Raising the Bar can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. to master your life. To reach Leah Mattinson or her guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin along with my co-host Leah Mattinson. Today we've been talking with Scott Walker, 
who was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder or had after a manic episode and has been telling us about the lifestyle factors that he's been working on, um, including diet, exercise, yoga, meditation, all the lifestyle factors we know are important for brain health as well as heart health. Is there anything else, Scott, that you did that um, you think is important from these sort of non-medication lifestyle issues that has helped you? All of those factors definitely helped me get much, much healthier, and I was very grateful for that. In the last two years, I've really focused on improving my mindset, and I personally feel that that's the umbrella piece that has brought everything even further together, Um, because despite doing having a better diet, doing the meditation, the yoga, affirmations. Um, it's embarrassing, but it's true. I still had a default negative mindset. So, um, like, unless I was saying affirmations 24-7, um, I was still at a point in my life where my default thinking was negative. And uh, in the last year and a half, two years, I've really focused on improving my mindset, and and it's made a radical change for me And in the fact that now I'm able to have clear thinking, I'm able to have just simply enjoy my life as opposed to have my mind constantly running in the background. And uh, in my experience and people I've met that have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, that's very common where people say they they just can't shut their brain off. And it's, uh, and it's not always bad things, of course, but uh, I do feel that... For me personally, improving my mindset has made the, the biggest difference of all. So, Scott, just a couple things on mindset. The, so is it um, tapes that were, are negative that are played kind of in the background, and is it uh, directly linked to bipolar, or do you think that we all have tapes? Um, in my experience, I, I think we all, I feel we all have these tapes running in our background, um, or maybe not all of us, I'll say the majority of people. Mm-hmm. I definitely know people who don't, and it turns out that uh, most of the most of the people I know who don't, they tend to either be the the happiest people out there, or the and or the most uh, successful in whatever way you choose to define success, whether it's family success or business success or health success. Um, but I would say that, uh, in my experience, yeah, that most people have some sort of tape going on in the background, and it could be a wide variety of topics and factors that are running in those tapes. Right. And I'm just going to jump in again, Howard. Sorry, but I just am curious about what the difference is then for you, Scott, and how you, um, like, what's the difference between affirmations and changing your mindset so that it's a permanent thing? Like, is there something else you do besides affirmations? Are they just done differently? Um, So for me, affirmations were a great lead up working on my mindset because um, for me an affirmation is is telling myself to be positive, telling myself everything's going to be great um, whereas specifically focusing on improving my mindset what it's doing is dealing with the negative thoughts and habits and thinking patterns as they arise so it's, it's a whole different process like in the past I would have a negative thought or feeling or habit come up I would say an affirmation, and that would be it. So the way I saw it is that the affirmation is is helping me in the moment. However, long-term, it's really not dealing with that negative thought or pattern or habit, whereas the tools I've learned now with uh, 
improving my mindset, I now deal with those negative thoughts, et cetera, right away so they don't fester and they don't build. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, no, that absolutely makes sense. I understand why. One is just sort of a, a prompt, like an affirmation is just sort of stopping it. But, but what you're talking about mindset is really getting in and diffusing the thought and the emotion that goes with it, um, which is a great thing to be able to do because those negative thoughts can be very habitual and we can just assume them and, and so forth. That's very true. I love the word diffuse. That's a fantastic way to describe so, it. So, no, it, it makes perfect sense to me. One question we had... Good. One, one question we had, and we talked a little bit about this, is, you know, given your experiences, how do you feel the media and the culture generally deal with mental illness? What's your view on that? I feel in some ways it's getting better. Um, like I know in Canada, we have Bell Let's Talk Day, and that's a day earlier in the year. It's in January where certain media outlets do a huge push for talking about mental health openly. And uh, there's other... Um, like uh, Movember in uh, in November. That's another initiative that talks about specifically men's mental health as a component of it. So there's a few initiatives like that that are gaining ground. And at those periods of time, there's a, a more proactive conversation about mental health. Um, on the flip side, I do see that, you know, for example, the tragic event that happened in Orlando very, very recently um, it seems like a lot of the articles, they instantly assume it's someone with a mental illness that did that. Um, right. And that, mm. that may or may not be true. Mm. Um, but that, that's honestly one thing that bothers me. Um, and then I do notice, too, that in a lot of uh, movies or even just media references, like I've heard people jokingly refer to the weather as bipolar. And, you know, for some people that's funny, but for someone that, like me, has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, that's really not funny. Um, and uh, so there's still references like that that happen uh, fairly often. And, you know, it's one of those things where I, when I hear of those references, I, I, I normally will contact the media outlets and I, I just, I just say in a straight matter of fact way, you know, I'd appreciate if you could refrain from using that term because it, it does perpetuate a stereotype. Right. In so you're really mind. taking a you're really taking a proactive sort of educational um, position in helping other people in society to change their understanding of mental uh, wellness in your day to day life and in your business as well. Is that right, Scott? Yeah, that's correct. Like I really do my best to to promote the educational aspect and um, and yeah, with with my business as well. I I really focus on. Even languaging, like, for example, I, I tell people that I'm diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I do not tell people that I am bipolar. Um, and that sounds like a very, uh, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. But that sounds like a very minute difference there, saying I'm bipolar versus I'm diagnosed with bipolar disorder. However, I really feel that I'm not my illness. My illness is something I was diagnosed with. And, you know, for example, if I had... Uh, multiple sclerosis. I would not say I am multiple sclerosis. Excellent I, I would example. Say I, I'd say I am <laughs> diagnosed with my multiple sclerosis. Or So, you know, it's, it's things like that that I work in with, with clients, uh, with my business, and, and with people at large as well. And I do my best to, 
to do it in a very, very calm, educational way as opposed to a confrontational, angry way, which, of course, gets nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And now that you're an expert meditator and yogi, you don't get angry, or if you do, you manage it, right? So, um, no, I think that's an excellent point. I really think that's an excellent point. People aren't their diagnosis. Diagnosis is simply a way of describing something that is very variable, and uh, I really appreciate um, your stand on that. I think it's totally, totally appropriate. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, You were going to share with us um, in a practical way, I think it was something about mindset, um, that, that users that listeners could use and could integrate into their their lives. Would you would you like to share that with us? Uh, yes, I'd be glad to. So the the tool I'll, I'll share with is uh, a tool I learned from an author named Andy Shaw. So for full disclosure and credit to Andy, I've actually met <laughs> him personally. He's an incredible man, and it came from uh, one of his books, which is called Creating a Bug Free Mind. This tool is called NoMind, and uh, NoMind is a tool that's allowed me to get out of a stressful mindset very quickly, and it also allowed me to get into a space of discovery and, and expansion more often. It's benefited me immensely, and it's something I'm setting the intention that uh, can help all of the listeners out there and, and yourselves as well, um, Howard and Leah. So for no mind, um, what I'd like uh, everyone to do is just to take a couple of deep breaths. We'll close our eyes. So if you want to take a deep breath in, breathing in, and a deep breath out. And we'll take another deep breath in, and a deep breath out. So if you can open your eyes, and ideally, if you have a pen and paper, that's great. If not, you can do this still. Uh, You can still do this. Um, In the last year, what I'd like everyone to do is to think of three peak experiences in your life. So it could be a special time with someone, a significant other or friend. It could be a concert or event that you were at. It could be a beautiful place in nature. It could have been an amazing meal, either at a at someone's home or a restaurant. Uh, think of three peak experiences from your life. So we're going to take about 30 seconds and just either write those down or think of three times in the last year where you felt fully alive and extremely happy. So... Think of those three times and uh, either write them down or remember them. And you're really thinking of those times that were times you'd love to have again and again, where you just felt totally great. So I'll give you another 10 seconds here, and then we'll bring that to a close. Now that you have those three peak experiences from the last year of your life, what I'd like you to do is look look at the three or think of the three and pick out the one that you feel you can remember the best. And when I say the best, I, I'm 
meaning the most sensory memory. So involving sight, sound, touch, smell. Um, pick out the one that you feel you can remember the most about from with all the senses. And what I'd like you to do is put a star beside that one or, or just mentally remember that one. And we're just going to go through a process here. So remember that one that you put a star beside or are remembering. And we're going to close our eyes again. So we're going to go back to that experience. And where were you? What did the scene look like? Was it a scene of serenity? Was it a scene of lots of energy, lots of people? Was it a scene of of you by yourself? Were you with uh, a special person in your life? Were you with a group of people? What did you see? Was it a scene of of natural beauty? Were you near water, like an ocean or lake or a beach? Were you at an event where there was a lot of people, a lot of things taking up your visual field? Were you at a, a beautiful building with incredible architecture? What were you seeing? What were you hearing? Was it someone's voice? Was it the sound of nature, like a bird or the ocean waves crashing? Could have been uh, live music. Could have been uh, someone's voice. What were you hearing? What were you smelling? Was it uh, some incredible food? Was it freshly cut grass? Uh, the ocean mist? What were you smelling? And what were you touching? Were you touching uh, a person? Were you touching something in nature like grass with your feet? Or it could have been anything else? What were you touching? And how were you feeling? Were you feeling energetic? Were you feeling calm? Were you feeling incredible? How were you feeling? So really anchor that feeling. And then open your eyes. So that feeling you had right at the end, ideally, is no mind. And in the state of no mind, you're able to be uh, intensely present, focused, engaged, and expansive. And um, it's something that, in my experience, as I've practiced that more and more, I can bring in no mind in a very stressful situation and radically change my mindset and my overall feeling in as little as three to four seconds. And it's a tool that has greatly benefited me. I'm very optimistic it can benefit anyone out there as well. So that, so that, what a thank wonderful you for sharing that, Scott. That is fantastic. Four-minute miracles. Absolutely. And so on today, go, Just on the note of having just a few seconds to wrap things up, um, thank you so much, Scott. Check out his business at scottinsideout.com. 
um, and come on back next week uh, to Master Your Life, uh, where you'll uh, be present in the show that gives you insight, inspiration, and intelligence. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.